0: This hour is being brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain.
1: Mike Florio.
0: He used to be a lawyer, then
1: he decided to take his talents to the internet.
2: NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late, I was talking to Robert Kraft. Pro Football Talk. I wouldn't listen to some of those people out there, especially guys like Mike Florio. Mike Florio. With Bernstein and Holmes on the score. totally listen
0: to Mike Florio. He joins us every week. We moved him from yesterday to today because he's got stuff going on just like Dan. It is the Bernstein and home show. Dan is leaving right now for the airport so that he can get young Jason to orientation at Bucknell. So it's just you and I, he's trying to beat the storm that's coming in tomorrow. So just you and I hanging out here until two o'clock. Luckily, Mike Florio is nice enough to join me and I get the opportunity to talk to him He joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate the flexibility. We were in Indianapolis the last two days in the midst of the media scrum trying to interview people and chase down whatever we could polish into a rumor that will generate clicks and views. I saw your comments recently about this whole media machine that – pushes a story in one direction and everyone follows and then somebody else pushes it the other way and everyone follows that way. And this time of year, yeah, the Bears are thinking about trading the pick. They're thinking about using the pick. They're scouting the quarterbacks. They may take one. They may not take one. Every little twist and turn that is obvious to the process of deliberating through your options becomes a story. And it's just kind of the way it is. But I saw what you said about it, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It it creates its own ecosystem of – Headline based on one possibility, headline based on contradictory possibility, headline based on third possibility, and off we go.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that. You don't have to say that, but thank you very much for... for I agree with it. I yeah. wouldn't say it,
1: if I didn't agree with it.
0: Yeah, and, and I appreciate you even taking the time to look at something like that that comes across uh, your your desk. I, I'd love to know, man, what was this Jalen Carter story like to cover?
1: Well, we were at our set, doing the interviews of the prospects as they brought them around. The way it was working yesterday, they had the guys, they would take them to the podium, then they would come go through the car wash. We had a setup, CBS has a setup, NFL Network, Sirius, and Jalen Carter was on our list. First we had the edge rushers, then we had the interior defensive lineman. He was on the list, and within an hour or so before he was supposed to show up, we caught wind of this story that he was potentially going to be charged with something in connection with the car crash that happened back in the middle of January. And it all felt very ominous at first, the idea that he was allegedly misleading slash lying to police. And it, it just created a weird dark cloud over the proceedings. And then they delayed the entire group of interior defensive linemen. We didn't know what was going on. The official word was... That Jalen Carter and several others wouldn't be speaking because they were delayed with the medical aspect of the combine. Not a lot of people believe that. And then by the end of the day, he was charged with two misdemeanors: reckless driving and and racing. And uh, you know, the lying to the police wasn't part of it. There's no involuntary manslaughter charge or anything like that. So it it started off feeling very ominous and negative and problematic for Jalen Carter as it relates to his draft status. And I think by the time the dust settled for him and where he gets picked, it's a non-issue. It's a horrible, tragic situation, big picture. But as it relates to things that could derail his football career, I don't think it's going to be an issue.
0: Let me lean on your experience as an attorney here, a recovering attorney. Um, when, When we see this arrest warrant put out by the Athens Police Department, why do you th- why do you, what do you think of the timing of it? And what, is, what does it make your legal brain think was going on?
1: Well, look, the, the easy low-hanging fruit reaction is somebody wanted to screw with this guy as the combine was beginning to unfold and throw a wrench into his prospects. And we're going to stick it to him by putting this out there when we did. But, you know... The next level evil genius approach would have been to make sure that one or more of the reporters who were going to be there asking him questions were aware of the situation, leak it to them, have him show up at the podium, and get asked a bunch of questions and maybe say something that contradicts something he's already said to police or will say in the future. That's really the way to set this guy up if you're looking to maximize whatever your, your leverage is against him later if you think he wasn't truthful to you in the past and you can catch him in a lie. So, you know, yes, at a very basic level, it, it was arguably time to screw up his combine week. At a deeper level, there was another way to play it to make it even more likely, if you believe this guy was being dishonest with you, more likely that you can prove it later to a jury if it gets to that point. So, yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like it was a coincidence but they really could have been even more nefarious with it if they wanted to.
0: How do you feel about Carter returning to Indianapolis?
1: Well, look, he goes back and he faces the music. And my understanding is he's not going to say, I decline to answer any questions about the incident on advice of counsel. He's going to answer the questions. And anything he says can and will be used against him. The Miranda warnings don't just apply to what you say to police. I mean, anything you say to anyone can be used against you at trial if you're a criminal defendant. So... He needs to be careful about it. He needs to be sure that he's sticking to his story, and hopefully his story is the truth. I'm a firm believer in always telling the truth, and if the truth is you did something you shouldn't have done, you may as well admit it and take your punishment. It's better than fighting it, because it's always worse when you fight it, and they prove later that you did the thing that you claim you didn't do. But he issued a statement yesterday saying he's confident he'll eventually be fully exonerated. Again, the charges weren't as, as... troubling as I thought they were going to be based on the reports from yesterday. So, you know, he's doing what he has to do to answer these questions, address these questions so it doesn't affect his draft stock. And maybe the flip side is if he would just say nothing or not go back, that creates a more red flag than the one that's already there.
0: I I like to think of myself as being up on a lot of this news, and I remember when the accident happened and how it was framed, like nationally. Like, it's a tragedy. You have two members of the Georgia football family dying in this car accident. Did people around the NFL know that Jalen Carter was even tangentially involved in this?
1: Well, I hadn't heard it. And my initial reaction yesterday, or at least the information I got from people that I saw and I was talking to, I don't think that it was widely known. Now it's possible that You know, one team became aware of it, and they kept the cards close to the vest because why are we going to share any of this information with our competitors if we have it and they don't? But I don't think it was a given. I don't think it was widely known. I don't think that, for example, without a nudge, reporters who would have been there to ask him questions would have even known to ask anything about it. I know Chris Sims and I wouldn't have known to ask anything about it before this all hit the fan yesterday.
0: Okay. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk joining us here on The Score what's going on in Dallas? Because Mike, Mike McCarthy is, I, I'm not a fan of his his coaching, Mike. I'll just tell you that straight up and down. I think it's interesting what he was saying about Kellen Moore, now that Kellen Moore is gone, that they want to get back to a, a, a running style so he can rest his defense. It, I, it's a very interesting thought from a Mike McCarthy.
1: Yeah, all Kellen Moore wants to do is light up the scoreboard. God forbid we score points. <laughs> God, God forbid we go out and amass the things that ultimately determine wins and losses in football games. And, and I know that that's an overly simplistic view of what he's saying, but I've, I view it this way. When he got the job, he didn't have the juice to take over the offense. They were trying to develop Kellen Moore into their next Tom Landry. Jason Garrett was going to be the Tom Landry. It didn't work. Kellen Moore was going to become the Tom Landry, and it ultimately didn't work. I know they said they want Mike McCarthy to be there as long as Tom Landry was. Well, he'll be there until he's 85, if that's the case. But now McCarthy is kind of making a power play here. The end result is he's 12-5 and five for consecutive seasons, playoff appearances, consecutive seasons. But but there's a feeling something's holding the team back. And I think that that implicitly or expressly his position is, let me take over and let me have the sword, and if I fall on the sword, so be it. But I'm going to rise or fall based upon what I do. I'm going to call the plays. I'm going to design the offense. I'm going to do it my way, and maybe that's what gets us to the next level. Because as soon as the season ended and there were questions about McCarthy, well, hey, they've been 12-5 and 5 each of the last two seasons. Okay, fine, then why are half the coaches now gone? And I think this is his effort to really prove that he can take it next level. And if he can't, he's going to be out on his ear.
0: I know that you read the NFLPA's survey of the players and what they thought of the teams and the facilities. Was there anything that, that stood out to you as being something that a team or multiple teams need to move on to make it better for the players?
1: Well, you know, the bottom line is this. The salary cap and the salary floor the requirement that a certain amount of the money that is generated by each team be spent on players that is what results in players making significant amounts of money but you determine whether or not the teams really care about the players as human beings based upon things like this how they treat the families how they treat the players whether they pinch pennies over dumb things and i thought the cardinals had evolved past this mike silver back when he was at si had an item that revealed two things about the Cardinals at the time, and this is 15 years ago, but Robert Griffith, who was a safety in the NFL, played for the Vikings, signed with the Cardinals as a free agent. When they sent him his signing bonus, they removed from the check the cost of the FedEx envelope that was used to send the the signing bonus check to his house. And then also in that same story, I think Silver wrote that on players' day off, they put a padlock on the Gatorade cooler in the facility. And everything since then, is like, oh, they've learned, they've learned, they've learned, they're, they're not that way anymore. Well, when I see that you know, they charge them for their food. Like, we'll give you dinner, we'll box it up, and we take it out of your paycheck? Are you kidding me? And the weight room, the hazards that the players allegedly experience in there, and the floors uneven, and it's buckling. I mean, you either give a crap about your players or you don't. And, and where this becomes an impact for teams, you know, when it's time for free agency – if you've got a bad reputation among players, you're going to have to spend more to get players to choose to go play for you. And if you're at the top of the list of the good franchises, you're going to win the tie with another team. You know, if you're at the top and another team's at the bottom and the other team isn't willing to kick in more money, that player's going to come play for you. So, you know, it's it's an important snapshot of whether or not these teams truly care about the men who are out there taking the physical risks every day playing for those teams.
0: Yeah, like that's a... It felt like that scene in Moneyball where where the, the Oakland A's are, are paying for drinks and only have cereal available to them. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that an NFL franchise is being run that way, Mike.
1: They all have the money. This isn't a time where, you know, things are tough and we have to tighten belts and we all have to give up a little bit. They all have the money to properly take care of the players. And these are the extra little things that make players happy. They make players want to be at the facility. You know, all these teams want guys to show up early and stay late. Well, if you like the place you're showing up to, aren't you more likely to show up there early and stay later? If you're happy there, if your needs are taken care of, if it's nice there, you're more motivated to go work out if you know that you're going to be in a room where, you know, you feel like it's safe and it's nice and you're inspired to be there. It just really is amazing to me. And to pivot to a completely unrelated topic on the surface, but I think it's related at the bottom because the commanders were at the bottom of the list at number 32. One of the reasons why I think some of the owners would vote against pushing out Dan Snyder, the owners of the good teams who know what they're doing, like having 10 to 12 teams that are run by owners who don't know what the hell they're doing. It makes it easier to beat those teams.
0: You're you're right about that. That's why I always hated when I would hear that, George McCaskey was asking for advice around the league, and I'm like, they want to keep you down, George. Like, like maybe it's not the best idea to, to get that advice. Before I let you go, Mike, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this year's quarterback class and what people are telling you about that quarterback class because obviously it affects how valuable the Bears' number one pick is. So what are people saying?
1: The vibe right now is that there isn't that can't-miss Sure-fire, no-brainer, go-get-him, best-of-the-best by far. And we were talking about this earlier today. For a team like the Colts that could trade up, obviously, to number one to cut the line in front of the Texans and get that guy, there's no guarantee that that guy is that guy. If it's Bryce Young, there's no guarantee. Look back to 2018. Baker Mayfield, number one. Sam Darnold, number three. Josh Allen, number seven. Josh Rosen, number ten. One out of the four top ten Quarterback picks that year panned out, and it was the third guy taken. So there's, there's value in staying put. And the other thing about trading up, and this is the point that really dawned on me a couple of years ago when the 49ers gave up two first-round picks and a third-round pick to move up to number three overall, ultimately investing three ones and a three in Trey Lance. Think about the pressure that puts on the kid. So if the Colts move from four to one, That pressure, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, you're the next one, as opposed to staying there at four and taking the guy who's there at four who may end up being a better quarterback. And one of the reasons is because there's less pressure on him coming through the door. So these are all real factors in a year where there isn't a guy that is being widely viewed as can't miss, must have, go get him. And that's what's going to make the the next couple of months fascinating because when you look at the top ten teams, drafting, pre-free agency, because obviously free agency is going to change things. But pre free agency, there's a lot of teams that could be in the mix for a quarterback.
0: No doubt about it. But one more thing. What's the latest with Lamar Jackson and, and and the Ravens? Because this is now we're getting close to them having to make a decision on the franchise tag, and it seems like Lamar is still stuck on looking over at Deshaun Watson's contract and being like, I want
1: that. Well it depends on who you listen to at ESPN. They've got this weird dynamic there where some reporters will say he wants a fully guaranteed contract. Stephen A. Smith, who isn't a reporter, but he got on TV and said somebody from Lamar's camp called me and said he never demanded a fully guaranteed contract. I think he's always wanted one. Maybe that phone call is evidence that he's falling a little bit on his demand because he realizes I'm never going to get a long-term contract if I continue to insist on a fully guaranteed deal. But the Ravens have to decide by 4 o'clock on Tuesday which level of the franchise tag they're going to use. They're going to use one or the other unless somehow, some way they work out a deal between now and then to keep him long-term. Non-exclusive at $32.416 million. Exclusive at 32416000 exclusive at 45000000 If it's exclusive, he can't go talk to other teams. He can't sign an offer sheet with another team. 32 he can. And if he signs an offer sheet, the Ravens can match it or they can take two first-round picks. But what they could do... They could go exclusive, but authorize him to go try to find a trade and try to get more than two first-round picks for him if there's someone who will do it. But the question is, is there a team out there that will do what the Browns did last year when they got sufficiently desperate that they did that Deshaun Watson contract and pissed everyone off? Is there an owner out there this year that doesn't care and will go get him. And I know one team I've been watching is the Falcons as a way to possibly trade for Lamar Jackson with that eighth overall pick plus whatever else they put on the pile. And maybe Arthur Blank at age 82 would decide, I don't care what my partners think. I'm paying this guy the money because he potentially transforms my team.
0: Mike, this was delightful. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Great
1: talking to you, Lawrence. Take care.
0: That is Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk He's got a lot of information that he threw out there at us. Some people were texting in. Um, and I'm not sure that this person gets it. An 847 texter said, I'm shocked to hear Green Bay gets an A mark for food. I lived in that city for four years, and the food is 100% fried and awful for you. It's impossible to be regular Joe to be fit in a city due to lack of options. They weren't ranking the food in, in, in the city. They were ranking the food at the facility.
3: For the players. For the players. Not the concession stands. Yeah, we're not. players.
0: Yeah, this isn't, like, they weren't asking the player. Maybe there is a survey where they, I'm sure that you can talk to players and they'll tell you the best places to go on the road, and I would imagine that Green Bay is not one of them. But that's not what this was. This was the stuff that's there at the facility, like, guys will practice and, then they'll be hungry and,
3: and cheese curds are
0: available. Yeah. They're not I I mean, maybe they do that once in a while where on a Friday they bring in cheese curds, but ideally you're trying to you're doing chicken and steak and stuff. So no, this wasn't a referendum on the food in the city. In and it's which,
3: like catered or there's chefs.
0: Yeah, you usually have a staff that that is is they have a menu for the day and a couple of options. I gotta say when I was covering the Bears every day and they were down at Bourbonnais, I was impressed and this is this is more about Olivet Nazarene than it is about the Bears, although I'm sure the Bears coordinated like menus with them. I was always impressed at what they had available. Like anything that you want for the most part, and you have all of the healthy choices that were there, and then if, if you know, because some guys are trying, like guys like Alex Brown were always trying to put weight on because he's just naturally thin. So, you know, you see A.B. walking out with a couple of ice creams because he's trying to put on weight. Except for that year when when he got replaced by Mark Anderson and he was walking around with a grumpy T-shirt on from the Seven Dwarfs. He literally wore a grumpy t-shirt
3: 2007
0: yeah because he was grumpy because mark didn't mark anderson have like 12 sacks or something that was his breakout he didn't do anything else like he wasn't going to stop the run you weren't going to put him in coverage but he did a good job of getting after the quarterback less complete of a defensive end than alex and alex knew that and didn't like it very much but no sir this was not a referendum on what the food is like in
3: Green Bay. Shout out to Olivet Nazarene. I mean, their facilities are awesome. I, the indoor facilities, too. Well, also. I mean,
0: that's the type of money that got put in because the Bears were there. So they they really did benefit. And obviously, like, the Bradley Bourbonnais area benefited from the Bears. Is it still on the water tower? Does it still say summer home of the Bears? They should just keep that. There's no reason to remove it. I mean, they aren't that anymore, but there's no reason to remove it. But, yeah, I always felt like I was treated very well down there. Once you got past, like, the rules. Hey, did you see Ray and I on TV yesterday? You guys are on, t- oh, with the documentary? Yeah, how cool was that? Yeah, you guys are we're our television stars now.
3: Yeah, you know, walking down the street, people are going to recognize me, so.
0: <laughs> damn right, that that was fun. I mean, I got an advanced copy, so I had already seen it. But I, I love the way that they uh, edited it with so so that they could do the commercials. Like I really like that. Phil Rogers did a great job on that thing. Shout out to his whole production staff and the SoFi tour was awesome. Right. And how about how about how about that whole thing coming together where I had just wanted to talk with Phil Rogers and then it became can we do a segment with callers for feedback? And then it was like can we film it? And it's part of the documentary. I better be getting a producer's credit.
3: Oh, you you got credit up on there? Yeah, I I saw saw. my
0: I saw my credit on there. Bear
3: down and out, baby.
0: Bear down and out on. uh, When are they? They're gonna run it on Channel Five. They're gonna
3: have uh, a a handful of re-airings. One of which is tonight on NBC Sports Chicago. I guess after a Blackhawks post game, sweet.
0: So if you didn't see it, it's all the documentary is all about the Bears and and them moving to Arlington Heights and the everything that happened with the city. It's really good. So after Blackhawks post game live, you could check it out tonight. For those of you who saw it, uh, we had a lot of fun with it, and Phil was great. I, he did a really wonderful job with it. I, mean, I, 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 it was informative, and that segment that we did with him, I thought was top notch, and. And here's a little secret. Here's a little inside secret. Phil was expecting your stereotypical sports radio call. He was expecting the guy, that are the McClaskey's, they're cheap. They throw around nickels like manhole covers. And what they got was a bank of really intelligent Bears fans who called in. And a couple of the calls made it into the documentary. So I'm glad. I'm glad that y'all didn't embarrass us.
3: You know, Phil and the NBC crew, NBC Chicago crew, were surprised by the quality of calls. And so was I, as the person who screens the calls. I I know. was like, the good ones are out today. I know. Uh, Encore presentations uh, of Bear Down and Out Thursday, March 2nd through Sunday, March 5th. After each post-game show on NBC Sports Chicago, it will then air on NBC Chicago at 11 p.m. on March 12th after Sports Sunday with oh. our buddy Layla.
0: Oh, night! Nice. That's a great lead-in to watch that documentary. So that's great. And yes, Texer, I did try to bring back the Beatles. I meant to say Rolling Stones, but I said the Beatles. But who wouldn't pay for a Beatles concert in Soldier Field? It'd be a major news story if it were able to happen. I mean, it
3: might happen. Holograms. We got the hologram Tupac. We might have AI, the hologram, oh, uh, man. you know, at some point down the road. Get, 10, get hologram George years. and yeah.
0: hologram John out there and have them do their thing. Exactly. I don't know. That sounds awful. Um, you know what else is awful? Winning ugly last night with your Chicago Bulls. We're going to let you hear what Billy Donovan had to say about how that game kind of got away from them and how they were able to wrestle it back. Will Purdue had some great stuff on the postgame. They won, and that's the most important thing. But there were a lot of themes that continued as being problematic when we talk about Bulls basketball. We will explore next. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score.
2: Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Yeah, I mean, you can see the way we came out. You know, just going at them, having a good flow for the game, coming out of halftime fast, but I think at the end of the third quarter going into the fourth, we lost a little bit of that momentum. So, you know, it's frustrating, but, you know, teams coming in out of games, only thing that matters is we're able to close it out.
0: Alright, so Zach's right that the most important thing about last night's game is that the Bulls won. He's right about that. And I don't want to discount that as being a thing. But um it was dicey. Can I just say um shout out to FanDuel? A texter hit me up last night at halftime and was like, Hey, are we doing the thing where we take the other team on the money line? You damn right we did. I took Detroit plus 800 last night on the money line. When? At halftime. Okay, sorry. So, look, I know that they didn't win, but this is one of the cool things about FanDuel. I was looking at the cash-out option because I figured Detroit would make a run, and I was just thinking if I doubled my bet, like if the cash-out option was double what I bet, I would cash out. But then they just kind of kept playing and playing and playing. I ended up cashing out at plus 350. And then immediately after I cashed out was when the the timeout happened. And I was like, yeah! It's a win-win-win. The Bulls win. I won. Content for the show. The FanDuel people will be happy because I'm talking about being on FanDuel last night. I'm telling you, take it for a ride. You don't have to stay with the bet. But until the end of the season, if you see the Bulls get a lead on a team, like a significant like double-digit lead, just go see what the money line is. The money line odds are on FanDuel. Bet it and take it for a ride. You don't have to wait and see if the team wins. But if they make a run and you can make a little bit of money, make a little bit of money. There. Bet responsibly. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. After the game was over, Billy Donovan expressed a little bit of frustration with the Bulls' effort in the second half.
4: I know how hard it is to win in this league, and never mind win, but win on the road. So I don't want to diminish the work that these guys put in and everybody puts in, but... You know, it's it's the thing that we've got to make a choice on. I, I was really encouraged the way we played basketball in that first half. We had 20 assists. I think we had 69 points at the half. We were moving the ball. And then we come out, you know, just very, very carefree, relaxed. And, you know, we got it back up to 20, didn't close the third quarter the correct way, and didn't start the fourth quarter the correct way. And you saw what happened. They're, they're playing with energy, and they're overwhelming us because we're just – you know, we had our foot on the gas in the first half, and then to start the third quarter, I took a timeout. I mean, the first minute and thirty seconds into whatever it was, it was—I don't know if it was minute thirty—but it was pretty soon. It's just we got to like eventually get that corrected, where we just keep our foot on the gas, and and we just got to be able to do that. And I think it's—I've said this before—it's—it's—it's it's, it's everyone. You know, we as coaches have got to try to find ways to you know correct it help them or do something to help them and they've got as players i think also figure out like that they can't come there and that's kind of what we fall back into we fall back into this company so you see this team in the first you know 24 minutes of the game that's playing unbelievable beautiful basketball then you see a team looking lethargic uninspired you know what i mean and that's it's 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 amazing to me to be quite honest you know because i have a lot of hope and optimism with this group because you see the best of these guys. And listen, as long as we're playing to that standard or trying to for 48 minutes, you know, it's fine. But, I mean, it happened against Washington. I think I mentioned to you that our offense was struggling in the first half, and then the second half we came out and played great. Today it was flip-flopped. I mean, we played an outstanding first half, and then the whole second half, you know, not the whole second half, but there were moments where it was just, you know, it wasn't good. We got up by 20, and we kind of caught ourselves. But, you know, and and some of it, to be honest with you, we got lucky that we got up 20. We had some good things and good fortune happen to us, but we we got to get that resolved.
0: Okay. So that was Billy Donovan expressing his displeasure. Allow me to express some of my displeasure with Billy Donovan. Inside of that quote, he says, we as coaches have to find a way to help them. Billy, the way that you could have helped the Bulls last night was to draw up more stuff to get Zach the ball. It's pretty simple. If you have a player that's having a night like that, he was electric offensively. He was not just electric, but also efficient. Look at the numbers on Zach Levine last night. He shot 70% from the floor. He shot 67% from behind the arc. He did everything that you would want him to do as an offensive player. He got one shot in the fourth quarter. Your team often relies too much on isolation ball. And last night was not one of those nights where you needed to. And it wasn't one of those nights where DeMar was on fire. DeMar shot 44% from the field. And I know that he gets to the line and he made seven of nine free throws. Zach also gets to the line. And he hit all of his free throws last night. I am not a big Zach fan. I'm not. And if you've listened to the Bernstein at home show since it started in June, you know that. But there's no way that you can't look at the flow of the game and say, don't get that guy more opportunities to shoot. He was the guy that should have been getting all of the opportunities. And that's that's how Detroit ended up getting back into the game. You couldn't sustain offensive efficiency or proficiency in the fourth quarter, and they charged right back. A Texer said earlier, right before Dan left to to go get in, on an earlier flight, he's like, "You guys love Billy. This show loves Billy." No, we well. Yes, we do love Billy, and we love Billy's ability to explain to us things that happened. Like, we like him as a coach that's able to explain basketball after the fact. What we've each said multiple times is that we are frustrated with what happens during the game. Billy's able to tell us all Of what happened. But while it's happening. He doesn't have answers fast enough. And last night was an opportunity for him. To offer up a solution to the problem. Hey we're having a hard time scoring in this fourth quarter. Hmm. You know there was a guy who was scoring a lot of points for us. Is he still on the team? Yeah he's sitting over there on the bench. Well, how about we put him into the game and draw up plays for him? Hmm. That's part of the frustration. I think Billy is smart. I think he is interesting. I think he knows the game. I think he struggles with game flow. And making decisions inside of a game that make it more likely for the Bulls to win. And that was something that happened in last night's game. That was extremely frustrating. Here's what Will Perdue had to say after the comments from Billy Donovan.
2: Listen, as a former player, what I took from that was is, is these guys aren't listening. In the sense that he says, as he mentioned, this continues to happen. That's the lovely thing about basketball. We can make it as easy as we want, or we can make it as difficult as we want. Because it's all right there. And you think about it is... is is This game right there, you're up 15. And the one thing I mentioned in in the halftime show is this team's not going to go away, but you can put them away in the first five minutes of the third quarter. They're at a point now where you're starting to see Billy's starting to ramp things up a little bit about what he's saying because he understands a sense of urgency. He did not use the word sense of urgency, but he was alluding to the fact that this team did not play with a sense of urgency in the second half, a team that... Players can trust when they look around the locker room and coaches when they look down the, down the bench that they can trust and feel like they're making progress is a team that wins this game tonight by 20, 25 points. Going away and guys get the rest. And it's, yes, they still won three out of four. And we'll take that the rest of the way. But it would have been an impressive three out of four instead of a questionable three out of four. I think
0: Will is right. And that is courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. It's weird. This was one of those wins that felt like a loss. And it's because of what Will's talking about, where it's like, you had a chance to, like, Detroit wanted to go night-night. They desperately wanted to go night-night, but then the door cracked open. And they were like, well, since they're going to give us an opportunity, we might as well go out here and try to win this game. We got to win this game. And then, of course, they called a timeout that they didn't have because... Detroit going to Detroit. And that was funny. And it was also like, wow, the Bulls needed that to bail them out from losing another big lead to a team that's not good. So you got the win. The win is the most important thing. But it did bring up all of the bad feelings from things that we've seen with this Bulls team all season long which is why people are having a hard time believing that even if they get into a play-in situation, that it's going to mean a damn thing. We are still doing High Noon. There's a couple of college basketball stories that we need to discuss. One of them, I think, is interesting, fun, and quaint. The other one has to do with my alma mater, the other alma mater. I'll explain next on the score. I'll be back this way on Monday. Settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right.
3: When? High noon?
0: High noon, we do it this time every day on the Bernstein and Holmes show. And we start off by letting you know what we've been talking about. And you're like, wait, Lawrence, where's Dan? Dan, I imagine right now is at O'Hare? Because he and young Jason Bernstein were going for a a visit, an orientation visit at Bucknell. But Dan looked at the forecast for tomorrow and was like, let's get the hell out of here. So he got the hell out of here after the first segment of the show. So it's just you and I and the boys today. That's all we're doing. We're hanging out. We talked with Dan Weeder He has a great piece in the Tribune today about what people around the league are saying about Justin Fields. Mike Florio was outstanding today. We're going to talk with Mark Grody coming up in a little bit, but that's what we've been doing thus far. You may have noticed that I have not spent a lot of time on the Bernstein at home show talking about DePaul basketball. It's not because I'm not interested. I've gone to two games this year to watch the men play. It's because I'm, I'm, I'm out of juice when it comes to DePaul basketball for those of you who don't know me as well because you you're just getting used to listening to me in this time slot, DePaul basketball is the first sports team that I loved. I my one of my first actual memories is watching DePaul basketball at my grandmother's house. Obviously, like I went to school there, I teach there, I'm a part of the DePaul community. It's so frustrating to be a fan of DePaul basketball Especially when you have this being what happened last
4: night. I'll tell you what, this is good. Stevie Mitchell, the kid from Marquette, he's a pretty good one too. it
2: in with the jam.
4: 27-0 run
0: for UConn. Last night, DePaul played UConn. They went on a 27-0 run. Do you know when they went on that 27-0 run? At the beginning
2: of the game, 27 0 run for UConn.
0: After that bucket was scored, the score of the game was 29 2. 29 2! That's the type of score that happens in a high school basketball game when one of the teams only has five players. And the other team's pressing. That's what happened to DePaul last night. It gets worse. The game ended up going 33 to 8. And then at halftime, DePaul was down 51 to 19 before losing 88 to 59. I'm not sure that a lot else needs to be said. I'm not here advocating that anyone be fired or anything like that just once in my adult life, it would be nice if DePaul's men's basketball team would just meet us halfway. Like, just be good enough to get into the. I'm not greedy, y'all. I'm not greedy. I'm not out here saying that they need to to redo the the glory days of yore i'm not expecting depaul to be a final four team can you get me to the nit can you give me a 500 record a 500 listen to what i am asking there was a time when depaul was the number one team in the country and here i am 30 years later 40 years later Saying, could you just get to 500? That's all? 500. And I know that I speak for a lot of other DePaul fans that are like, really? You were losing the game 29-2? to 2? Mike Rankin, get me out of here. I need a nicer story. So, um... You know how sometimes when we talk about the really serious stories in college sports, where you're like, oh, that's just a college kid being a college kid. Uh, Sure, college kids always bring guns to their teammates when they ask for them or leave fatal accidents of their teammates and then lie to the police about it. This right here from the University of Illinois is an actual example of a college kid being a college
2: kid. I've actually been sick the last few days. I had caffeine poisoning. I literally had uh, six monsters the day of the game. I only had one before, but I had five after because I like a caffeine-induced euphoria to play video games in. Um, and <laughs> so I, uh, I could barely get out of bed the next day. It was like basically like a caffeine hangover. And uh, so this is my first day of practicing since then.
0: That's Matthew Meyer of the Illini. He drank six monster energy drinks in a short period of time. That's what college kids do. That's a college kid being a college kid. Thinking that they're indestructible and being like, I've got to stay up to play video games. What do people do when they need to stay up? They drink monster energy drinks. Caffeine induced euphoria. Speaking of euphoria.
3: Call me not civil. I admit I'm
1: unreliable What the kid is Ooh. I am
4: responsibly mad All right
0: Are you high?
1: Oh, me Was she there the whole time or did she just walk in? I
0: mean... Shout-out to Rue. That is high noon. We do a 27-0 run all right. for UConn. You know what? That's enough out of you, Mike Rankin. Here we're down 29-2. 29-2. All it did was bring back all of the horrible memories that I have of me and Zach calling games and being like, well, I guess Villanova is going to go up 50 to
3: 14. Just get a little better. The bigger letdown than being a Mets fan.
1: Opening day and here's the first pitch and the
0: season's over. (laughs) That's exactly how it feels to be a DePaul basketball fan right now. We are going to go down to the combine. Our daily report from Mark Grody, and the Bears is coming up next. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score.
1: 29-2!